The Girl Camper Podcast is sponsored by Liberty Outdoors, innovative makers of high-quality, lightweight, towable trailers for every stage of the RVer's life. And Campco Manufacturing. For over 50 years, this company has been making products for outdoor enthusiasts. Whether you are RVing, boating, camping, towing, tailgating, or grilling, Camco Manufacturers has products to help you enjoy your time off. We are also sponsored by our consortium of girl camper-friendly RV dealerships. Bankston Motorhomes with five locations in Alabama and Tennessee, Setzer's World of Camping in Huntington, West Virginia, and Tom's Camperland with three locations in Phoenix, Arizona. Service, integrity, and committed staffers are some of the hallmarks of these reputable dealerships. To visit any of our sponsors, go to girlcamper.com and follow the links on our homepage. Hello, my name is Janine Pettit and I'm a girl camper. I go places and I do things in my Liberty Outdoors lightweight towable trailers. Along the way, I meet many interesting people traveling the back roads, and I want to share their stories with you. We will talk about the qualities of what makes a girl camper and how you can be a girl camper too. The girl campers are having a party, and you're invited. Stay tuned while I share what's happening on the back roads of America the Beautiful. Welcome, I'm Janine Pettit, Girl Camping Ambassador, blogger, adventurist, and podcaster, and this is episode 138 of Girl Camper, the podcast. On this week's show, I'm taking a fresh look at a subject we've covered before, finding travel and trailer dollars in your budget. RV travel is the most budget-friendly way to see the country. It allows a flexibility that resorts and hotels just can't. You can choose different levels of campgrounds and services, types of travel trailers, and ways in which you choose to eat, all of which impact the bottom line and increase the amount of travel that you're able to do. So whether you're in a Class A coach at a high-end RV resort or a rented used trailer, when you are taking in the majestic beauty of our national parks, the view is the same for everybody. Today, I am covering some new ways to find money in your budget for travel and trailers. Stay tuned. Before we head into our news roundup, I have a message from Campco. What does Campco do? Well, they make stuff. What kind of stuff? Stuff for RVing, stuff for boating, stuff for towing, stuff for camping, stuff for grilling, stuff for tailgating. They make stuff that make your time out there even more fun. The Campco family has been manufacturing great products for over 40 years. They have nearly 4,000 products in their lineup, and they can be found at many fine retailers, including Walmart, Amazon, and our very own Teardrop Shop. Thank you, Campco, for making camping prettier, cleaner, neater, colder, 
hotter, cheerier, and all around more comfortable. Check out their products online. In our news roundup today, I am answering a listener's question. So here's what I got in my mailbag the other day. Hi, Janine. I'm new to the podcast and catching up on back episodes. I'm learning so much and appreciate all you do for us newcomers. Thank you. You may have covered this, but I have not seen it yet. I was recently at a campground and my neighbors were, if I put it kindly, thoughtless. If the truth be told, they were rude. They were loud, played their playlist on high, left lights on that shone in my trailer all night, had a dog that wouldn't quit barking. They handled that by constantly shouting at the poor chained up thing to stop barking. In a nutshell, the quiet weekend in the woods that I had planned was a nightmare. I'm not a confrontational person, and I didn't say anything to them, mainly because I thought it would be fruitless. The campground was completely sold out, and so I didn't ask to be moved to a new site. I'm curious about how you would have handled this situation, and I appreciate any insights you can give me. Amy. Well, Amy, first of all, I'm sorry. It's kind of sad that these people were unaware of the impact their behaviors might have been having on those around them. From what you described, though, I have to agree that your gut instinct, that request for shared quiet space and respect for fellow campers probably would have fallen on deaf ears. Really? Most of us camp for peace and quiet. I, I think that's kind of a given. I think when you like pull in the gate, there should be like something we signed that said, you know, we're all here, you know, for peace and quiet, right? You're all on the same page with this, right? When we were in the Rockies a couple of weeks ago, a bunch of kids parked an old motorhome directly across from us, and they ran a very noisy generator for several hours while shouting food and drink orders out the window to their friends around the campfire at their site. They were completely obnoxious, inconsiderate, and totally unaware of anybody else around them. When they first pulled up, I thought, oh, God, all right, well, you know, they're going to get their food going, and then they're going to shut that generator off, but it went on and on for hours. And the problem with the generator is not just that it was very loud, because it was an old motorhome, so it was very loud, but it was noxious. They had very noxious fumes coming off the thing, and they were parked really close to us, because at this campsite, it was a winding road, and rather than back in camping um, sites, every you know, I don't know, 30 or 40 yards, there was a notched out parking space on the right, like a shoulder parking space. So we were all basically on the road. So here I am with just a road's width between me and them. They were maybe, you know, 10 feet in front of me on the other side, but just a road's width away. So the fumes were just wafting toward my trailer the whole time. We didn't have any hookups, so it's not like you turn on your air conditioner. I had to close my windows in order to not be breathing in the fumes. So eventually I just said, you know what? I'm not going over there to a bunch of kids who are sitting around drinking and asking them to tone it down. So I just put on my shoes. I went for a little walk. I went up to the ranger station and I let them handle it. Before I even came back to my site, 
My husband, who stayed behind, told me that the ranger appeared in his little golf cart, and he said, hey, you guys got to tone it down. And they're trained for these things. They are trained to de-escalate situations and to convey information in a non-confrontational you know, way. So they were very nice then. They, they didn't know that it was me who complained. They um, turned everything off, and they left very early the next day, so I didn't have to deal with them the next day. So... It is the job of the camp host or the ranger to do these things, and you should just let them do it. One of the ways that you could avoid this, or not avoid, because sometimes you just can't, but minimize these situations is when you make a reservation, go online and really, really read these reviews. Sometimes you have to read between the lines, as they say. So if you're reading a review and it says something like, mostly nice campground but they didn't enforce quiet time now you know that the ranger the camp host or the uh, owner of the campground isn't going to be on task sometimes there's no one on site to do that especially if you're at a state park you know sometimes you can't locate a camp host so anyway you can read between the lines there another thing you can do is when you're making a reservation don't just make it online Go ahead and call the campground and tell them what you want. Say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be off for three days. I want a quiet weekend. I'm trying to finish a good book. Do you have a site where you can stick me in the corner, away from the bathroom, away from kids, away from noise? I don't, you know, I just want to really have a quiet weekend. If they have a site like that, they want to give it to you. They want to help you. So go ahead and call the campground rather than just book it online and try to get the kind of site you're looking for. Another thing to do is crowdsource. You know, when I'm um, online and I see everybody and they're posting their pictures from a weekend and I see a stunning site, somebody posts some beautiful water site and they're looking at a sunset, I immediately write to them and say, hey, where are you? What's the name of this campground? I get the specific site number that I'm looking at, and I just have a little log in which I save those sites. It's like, okay, someday this looks like a campground I want to check out. So keep a running list of those. Lastly, here's a funny thing. My BFF, Carol, BFF, best friend forever. That's what BFF is for, right? Well, my BFF. I call her the BBF, best, best friend. <laughs> She's the best, best friend ever. Best, best friend's husband, um, Bill, will not book a campsite until he has gone onto Google Earth and absolutely explored every inch of the campground, not just the campground. He needs to see how far from the highway he is in case there is going to be highway noise. He has to look at Google Earth inside and out six ways to Sunday before he decides he can take that spot. So that's another way of finding out because honestly, you look at those maps that they put online that somebody drew, they're not really exactly accurate. So now you can really see, is there a lot of privacy screening and shading between these sites? You can you can kind of get a better look at it. So that's a couple of the ways. And Amy, one last thing, don't feel bad about complaining. You're on your vacation too. Nobody would be in a hotel room trying to watch a movie, listening to people scream next door or yell or, you know, uh, be obnoxiously loud and not call the front desk and go, hey, could you tell the people next door to tone it down? Of course you're going to do that. This is your vacation too. So 
Next time, I would suggest that you let the ranger handle it. But thank you for writing in, Amy. And, and I hope you have happier trails in your future. <laughs> we'll be right back. Before we head into our featured topic, I have a message from our friends at Setzer's World of Camping. Setzer's World of Camping, it's in Huntington, West Virginia, and they are the first-time buyer's dealership. The experienced staff at Setzer's will help find the right model for you. They're going to sit you down first. They're going to find out what your camping needs are, goals are, how many people you are trying to fit into a trailer, what kind of tow vehicle you have, and then they're going to walk that floor with you. And it doesn't matter if you're looking for a lightweight towable, a travel trailer, a fifth wheel, a pop-up, a motorhome. Setzer's has about 150 new and used trailers on site all the time. Their staff is going to help assess your needs, make sure that tow vehicle is the right match, and they're not going to let you out the door until they walk you through every aspect of that trailer and give you their camping starter kit. Their reputation for selection, quality, service, competitive pricing makes them the go-to dealer in that area, not just for Huntington, West Virginia, but Ohio, Kentucky, and Tennessee. To look at their selection online, go to girlcamper.com and click on the link or just go to setzerrv.com and shop online there. Thank you, Setzers, for supporting the Girl Camper Podcast. You know, I wanted to revisit this subject because I have so many women who write to me and say that they are saving to buy a trailer or they're saving for a trip, and I think that is great. And we did talk about some of these ways before, but now the way social media works and it's at warp speed and there's always something new coming out, there are some great apps out there and ways in which we can find that money in our budget or squeeze it out from someplace else or maybe get rid of stuff that we're not using and increase our ability to maybe purchase that trailer or do some extra traveling. So I want to go through some of these things today and I want to start right at the most obvious thing. Most of us are sitting in a house and we do, as Americans, we have a lot of stuff and, you know, people give us stuff, um, relatives move, they give you stuff, we buy stuff because it's on sale, we buy stuff and then we're not using it anymore, and our houses get full and full and full. And you know what? You're sitting on money. You're really sitting on money. So one of the ways I see now that has been an easier way to get rid of the money that is sitting in your house is through the Facebook Marketplace. So this is relatively new. It came out at the end of 2016. So it's like only a year and a half old. And really, Facebook put this out as a complete direct competitor to Craigslist. I always found Craigslist kind of cumbersome to use. And usually I am on Facebook every day, so it makes it easy to to check. So this is a, um, a program within Facebook and it's called Marketplace. Um, I think it's so easy to use. You can set up a radius for how big you want your search area to be, how many people you want to reach out to. It has a feature that lets you market for items you're interested in looking for. I'm really talking about selling right now, but if you're searching for something like I always have in there, 
vintage Coleman camping. And so when anything comes up like an old cooler or stove or lantern, I get a little notice. <laughs> now the goal is to sell, not buy. <laughs> so try not to get sucked in on the other end. It's going to require a little discipline for you here. So I've been weeding out my house with the idea that when I downsize in a few years, I'll have already gotten rid of a lot of the stuff that I'm not going to be bringing with me. So I've been placing these treasures up for sale with a friend who actually posts them for me because I'm never home and she, she is home and she's able to do it. So I bring things over to her house and she puts them on there for me and she collects the cash and I give her a piece of it. So she's home and she's making extra money by posting my stuff and she's posting her own stuff too. So for years, I had this big collection of antique mirrors that were on a wall in a hallway in my house. And then my husband became a landscape painter and started taking my mirrors down and putting his paintings up. Well, I have been holding on to these mirrors for at least five years now, and I finally decided I gotta let them go. Now, some of them I only paid 20 or $30 for, and some of them I paid $100 for, and I don't wanna put them in goodwill. So I have been posting them on Marketplace, and I've gotten anywhere from 20 to $50 for them, and that's, that's sure better than putting them in goodwill. So she keeps it very simple. She has a system in which she posts them on her page. It's pickup only, it's local, and it's cash. So if somebody purchases it, she puts it on her front porch. They have a little envelope there, and it's a trust system. You know, it's never happened. No one's ever not given the money for them. And she doesn't even have to come to the door. You choose a pickup day with the person. You give them your address. You don't have to let a stranger into your house. She leaves a little box on the front porch where they put the money, they take the item, and I'm telling you, I'm getting rid of stuff. And it makes me feel better to not completely just... I, I, I would give it away in a heartbeat to someone who needed it, but I don't want to just put something in goodwill that I paid good money for. So I'm willing to take 20 or $30 for something I paid $100 for or even more in order to get rid of it and to stock my little travel purse with. So, so check out this marketplace on Facebook. You can get rid of a lot of stuff there. It's not just your old antiques. You can get rid of clothing. You can get rid of bicycles. You can get rid of things you are not using anymore. Okay, moving on to number two, food delivery. So there's a few good food delivery apps that allow drivers to pick up food from local restaurants and deliver it to your area. I, I've known about one called Postmates and DoorDash for a long time, but now there is something called Uber Eats. So it's a division of Uber. So this is a flex job that allows you to work when you want and take the weekend off when you don't want to work. So if you're going to be camping every other weekend, the weekends in between may be time that you just want to use your Saturday night to deliver meals and save up your money for more camping the next weekend. When I was recently in Michigan at the Tearstock event, a friend of mine was telling me that his daughter drives for Uber Eats. I didn't even know they had this until he told me this. 
Well, they live in a, a dense area in the Indianapolis area. And on Saturday nights, there were actually more pickups available than they had drivers for. So he signed up and started picking up some shifts on Saturday night. It's completely optional. You can do it or you don't do it, you know. So you get a little notice on your phone. And when the notice goes off that there's a pickup, you call it. You you tag that you're going to take that one. When that notice comes in, it'll tell you whether it's a curbside pickup or you have to walk it to the door. Here's the interesting thing. Now, my friend who does this in a high-density area said that he has discovered over the several weeks he's been doing this now that the most money to be made is Saturday night between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m., So if you're young enough to stay up at those hours, that is when people have come home. Maybe they've had something to drink and they shouldn't be driving or maybe they're um, just you know, comfortable at home and now they want to get something to eat. So what he does is he takes those later shifts and at times has made several hundred dollars in an evening. So if you did that on two weekends and made three or four hundred dollars, That's a nice little tidy sum. So Uber handles all the billing and everything. There's a couple things you have to do. You have to have a valid driver's license and insurance, and you have to provide that proof to them. Unlike Uber Transport, where you have to have a fairly new car, you can have a car as old as a 1998 if you're going to deliver food on Uber Eats. Uber gets 25%. It's all paid electronically. They can tip you electronically, and my friend reports that he does sometimes get cash tips as well. So that is something to think about. Most people have a car. If you're sitting around on Saturday night and you're just watching an old movie, maybe you just want to take your wife with you to go together. It could be like a fun thing to do. Put all your money in an envelope and think about all the places you're going to go. So Uber Eats, Postmates, DoorDash, and then there's the good old-fashioned local pizza parlor, which has always had delivery. But these are different kinds of restaurants now. Now you can get food delivered from something other than a pizza parlor. Okay, moving on to number three. Are any of you old enough to remember Christmas and vacation clubs at banks? Each week you would make a payment into your Christmas or vacation club and then the money would be there and you could uh, use it when you wanted to go on your vacation. Well, auto savings is not a new thing, but auto savings to a specific instead of a general account might be a thing for you. So years ago, my husband and I kept money in a cookie jar for some big thing we were saving for. It was always something, a new TV or airline tickets. We were always saving for airline tickets to go visit my parents. So, but then we would go into that cookie jar and use that money for something else. We would be like, oh God, these kids were crazy today. Let's go out to dinner and get a babysitter. And then we'd spend like 40 or $50 of our saved money. So one day, I just took that cookie jar down to the bank and I put it in a specific account so I couldn't get at it. I put it in a lockbox. I couldn't get at it. So I'm not talking about money that you save for, um, you know, an emergency repair, a car repair, your heater goes. I am talking about money that you specifically earmark for fun. So there is this rule in the finance world called the 50-30-20 rule in which ideally you would spend 50% of your income on necessities, 30% on discretionary things, and 20% on savings. Now, 
realistically, in America, we save less than 5% of our income. And I am convinced that this is a pattern that can be broken by force. I'm not talking about not paying bills. I'm talking about ways in which we allocate money. So often, it's just about breaking habits that are old patterns. When you never see that money come through your account to begin with, then you're not going to have it in your discretionary pile. It's already gone over to the savings. The trick is to not put it in general savings, to create a separate account that automatically gets taken out of your paycheck and make that a fun account. Now, if you go ahead and do this and you have an automatic savings plan with your employer, you mark it into an account that is your travel, fun, trailer, purchase, maybe account, and then you do any of these other things, like you're selling things on Marketplace, then you could actually take that cash and put it in that bank. Put it where you can't get yourself at it. So consider asking your employer to move it to a specific account on paydays or set up that account yourself and make a transfer to it right away. Okay, number four. This is really interesting to me. Freelance your skill set. So it's never really been easier than it is right now to get some kind of side job going. You don't have to post paper notes for house cleaning or lawn cutting at the supermarket anymore. All of this social media stuff makes it so much easier. Craigslist, Marketplace, all the different sites. Now, I just started using a site called Upwork. This allows you to sell your skills and services in a very, very professional way. So I used Upwork to help me find someone to organize a bunch of photos that I had been storing, but I couldn't access when I needed them because they were all out of order. So I uploaded this big file and this person, this person from heaven that came to me through Upworks, sorted and filed a bunch of pictures for me. So now I can get at them when I need them. So everybody has some kind of skill and maybe it's what you do professionally and you're paid at your employer for that and a salary, but you can do that on the side. You can market your photography, accounting, party planning, IT, networking, legal work, bunch of people do web design. I did use a lady that I found on Upwork who helped me make some changes that I needed to make on my website. So this is a consumer and a provider website. So you can be the consumer purchasing the goods that the um, provider is selling, or you can be the provider putting your services out there for consumers. They charge on both ends of this. And it's charged on a sliding scale. So if the bill is $500, you pay 20% of the first $500. But then when it goes up from $500 to $10,000, it switches over to 10%. And then it switches to 5%. Either way, I can tell you that they provide the platform for all of the work. So the chatting you do, the communicating you do, the file sharing you do, the time, uh, the ways in which you track the time that you're spending the, and, and the software where you get paid and bill people, it's all on their own platform. So providers are also rated for their performance here. So you can see ahead of time if they have a good track record. You can read reviews that other people have already 
who have already used them have said about them. And you post a job. You post a job like this is what I'm looking for someone to do. And people write to you saying I could do this. And you can see ahead of time. Everybody's fees are different. Some people have a very high fee and they may have a ton of experience and be able to do the job much faster. Some people charge a lower fee. You get to communicate with all the people before you decide who it is you're going to hire for your job. So you can hire and you can also sell your services here. So I have had a lot of good luck with this Upwork. My daughter uses it all the time. She has people read contracts for her. So in her job at work, she often has to have contracts looked at. So it's cheaper for her to have a contract looked at by someone who does legal work than it is for her to get an attorney and make an appointment. So anyway, take a look at this website because it's been a great resource for me and I know a lot of people who are using it now. So consider what hobby, talent, or skill you have that you might be able to turn into extra cash on a site called Upwork. Okay, moving on. Number five, rent your trailer. So if you already own a trailer and it's sitting in your driveway, you can rent it through a couple of different companies. You can rent it through Outdoorsy. You can rent it through RV Share. You can rent it through Campanda. And there's other rental companies. And you can rent it privately too. You can just put it on a Craigslist or Marketplace and you can rent it yourself. I kind of prefer Outdoorsy and the other places because you have a lot of insurances that go along with this and they're taking the legal risk out of it for you. So that would be something you have to think about and look about. But all of these different um, organizations that rent the trailers for you, they have their own set of rules, so you'll have to look up each one. This is interesting, though. In the RV industry, there's all kinds of stats. And one of the stats that I find fascinating is that people who own a trailer actually use that trailer three to four weeks a year. So there's 52 weeks a year, and you're using that trailer 48 or or three or four, meaning you have 48 or 49 open weeks a year in which that is just sitting in your driveway. That is a lot of money. I just read a really interesting article about a young woman who rented her trailer and paid off all of her student loans in a year by renting her RV. So there's real income to be had in that. And if you own one and it's sitting there and you're not nervous about other people using it, you know, maybe this is a good way for you to increase your amount of travel money. All right, number six, cancel subscriptions that you're not using. We all sign up for things that we don't end up using as much as we thought we would or that are of no longer of interest to us, but we just never cancel them. I kept a membership to Planet Fitness for an entire year. I think I went three times in the first uh, month that I signed up for it and then never canceled it until the second year in which they charged me a $30 annual renewal fee. And then I said, well, that's crazy, but... But what was really crazy is that I had already given them 11 months of payments from which I never used their thing and then was deeply, you know, offended by the fact that I had to pay them $30 in a single month. So look at the subscriptions you might have. So maybe you're still getting the fruit of the month club after the initial offer price expired. 
a lot of times you'll see things in which you'll get um, a fruit of the month or a quarterly basket and it cost $29.99 and that's the initial rake you in fee. They put you on auto renew and when that thing comes up for automatic renewal, next thing you know, it arrives at your house and it's $49.99 instead of $29.99 and you keep meaning to cancel it, but you don't. And then you forget about it until it arrives the next month. Well, there's a couple little companies that do things like this now, and one of them is called Trim, T-R-I-M. It's a company, and what they do is they go out there and they look at all of your purchases. So you have to turn over all of your credit card statements to them, and they go through, and they see what kind of monthly payments you are making, and they send you a statement saying, here's some things that could be cut from your budget. Are you still using these things? and what kind of value do you place on them. So this is interesting to me. Trim reports that the number one thing that they are asked to cancel by their customers is the go-go internet airplane subscriptions. (laughs) So if you've ever tried to get internet on the plane and you can't get it for just that flight, or it's some crazy price for that flight, but if you sign up for GoGo Internet Airplane, it's a monthly fee, and whatever plane you get on, you're supposed to be able to have the Wi-Fi. It is the number one thing that people get and ask to have um, canceled by Trim. The number two thing that Trim is asked to cancel is Planet Fitness memberships, it came in number two. So if you're a person who just doesn't have time to do all this, or you don't want to go through your credit cards yourself, or you you just don't want to do it, they will do that for you. So take a look at your quarterly box subscriptions, your cable channel stations that you don't want anymore, that dessert or wine of the month club, and see if that isn't money you can put back in your pocket. Of course, you don't have to use Trim either. You could just go through your own credit card bill and say, you know what, it's time for me to drop Netflix. I'm not watching that show anymore. <laughs> we we have Netflix just to watch The Crown. And I don't know. It's not going to come back on again until next March. Maybe I'll just drop it and get it back again. So anyway, you can do that. Take a look at your subscriptions and see what you could get rid of. Okay, another way to find money in your budget that you um, can pull back in for more fun things is to review all of your insurance policies. We recently did this. You know, they're always telling you on these commercials to bundle, and I thought we had most of our stuff bundled, but we just asked our insurance agent to take a look at all of our policies, and we cut back on a lot of stuff. So one of the things you can do is you can bundle your policies. As I said, when you put your homeowners and your auto and all these things in one um, with one agency, you can save a lot of money that way. You can also save money by choosing a higher deductible. So I have no idea what the deductible is on our homeowner's insurance, but I have absolutely never made a claim on it. I think I made one claim 22 years ago when our basement flooded. So every year I pay that, you can reduce that by making it a higher deductible. Another thing you can do is get rid of the collision on your old car. So if your car is paid for and you're carrying collision insurance on it when it's likely to be totaled in an accident anyway, maybe you want to get rid of that collision insurance. 
Another thing you can do with the auto insurance is you can get a reduced rate by taking a defensive driving class. <laughs> My children had to do this. The school made them do this. And they they got a certificate, you know. And my husband's agent said to him, you know, if your kids took that defensive driving thing at school, and he said, well, they did, and he had the certificates, and he turned them all in, and we got a reduction in all of our kids' auto insurance. This is a couple of years ago when we still paid their insurance. Now we don't. But anyway, we got an insurance reduction because our kids took this safe driving class. Another thing a lot of people don't realize they have on their insurance is this PMI insurance. This is a mortgage insurance. It's really not for you. It doesn't cover you if you lose your job and can't make your insurance or your mortgage payment. It is covering the mortgager. It's covering the bank. So when you buy a house, if you don't have at least 20% down on that house, they ask you to get PMI insurance. Well, maybe you did that 20 years ago and you're still carrying it without even realizing it and it adds up. It's a lot every month. Sometimes it's 60 or $70 a month or even more. So when you take a look at your insurances, see if you are carrying PMI insurance on your house and you don't actually need it. It's not going to help you anyway if you do have it. So check out and see if you have that. So check your homeowner's policy and see if you're paying for things that you don't need. We had an, a policy in which we had flood insurance on a house. Well, we were living in a house on the top of a hill. It literally, our driveway was a long slope, and at the top of the hill was our house. In that policy was homeowner's insurance for flooding. And I don't know, it wasn't a whole lot. It was 30 or $40 a month. But when you think of 30 or $40 a month and you times that by 12, you're giving someone 360 to close to $500 a year for something that you are never, ever going to need or use. So there are things that are built into your policy. They may have come with it and you didn't even know it. And when you're buying a house and you're signing all these papers, you tend to not look at all the little details in those things. So take a look at your homeowner's insurance and see what's in it that you might not even need. The last thing I would ask you to do with insurances is, is just make a phone call to your agent. Say, look, I want you to look over all my policies. I want you to show me any ways in which I can save money on my insurances. Most agents are thrilled to keep you as a client. They're happy to do that for you. We did it recently and we reduced ours by several hundred dollars. So that's something. It's a phone call. So it's pretty easy to do and you don't know what you'll come up with. Okay, now this one is a little harder. <laughs> It's but it's a challenge. It's kind of like boondocking. Like how many days can I go on this tank of water in my trailer? So one of the things that happens is we fall into these just like habits of spending and we don't realize how they're adding up. Uh, somebody said it's called the Starbucks effect. So you go out and you love Starbucks and you get a Starbucks coffee or my daughter, my youngest one, is totally stuck on Starbucks, um, some kind of Starbucks iced tea, like this raspberry iced tea. It kills me when she walks in the house with that big cup of raspberry iced tea that's like $3.50 or $4. It's got honey and ginseng and whoa. Look, I can make you one of those at home here for free, but she loves the process of going over there. That's her little treat in the day, but that is adding up. $3.50 a day times five days. She's spending over $15, $17.50 
a week. Okay, she works at Barnes and Noble. I keep trying to explain this to her. You work at Barnes and Noble for $9 an hour. Okay, you've just worked two hours for free in order to have iced tea. I just wouldn't do it, <laughs> that, but that's me. So we do that on a larger scale with things. So I'm talking about taking a two-week period and cutting your discretionary spending. So look at the things that you just indulge in and don't give up things you indulge in because that's not a fun way to live. We all need little treats. Like when I just need a break and I need to get out of my office and get out of the house, I drive over to Barnes and Noble and I sit down and I read all the magazines and you know, all these pretty glossy magazines that cost 10 and $15. I I just go over there and I read them and then I put them back on the shelf. But every once in a while, I just bring one home with me. I just want it. I want to keep it. <laughs> I want it. I want it on my nightstand. I want to look at the pictures more. So I treat myself to that thing. So think about this for discretionary spending and just try a two-week challenge. So for two weeks, pack a lunch. Don't buy your lunch at work. Don't buy your lunch on the go. Take whatever it is you had for dinner last night, put it in Tupperware, um, make a sandwich with it, uh, make something in the morning and take it with you for two weeks and, and literally put that money that you would normally spend, put it in a jar. Literally take the money out of your wallet put it in a mason jar and at the end of the week you're going to count all this money make your own coffee at home in the morning just see how that goes my son would leave the house every single morning rushing out the door early he leaves early for work not to be early for work but to leave himself time to get in line at dunkin donuts and get a coffee at dunkin donuts when the pot is on the countertop and when i tell you there's no one in the world that has more to go coffee containers than we own in this house every trade show gives them to you i take every one of them the cabinet is full of them they absolutely don't take their coffee from home. So take your coffee from home. Okay, this one would be nearly impossible for me. I have not tried this. I don't know if I can do it, but I should I should put my own self to the test here. Don't swipe. Don't go to Amazon for two weeks. I have such a bad Amazon habit because there's just things I need. But there's things I need from Amazon and then there's things I don't need. There's something I see and I go, oh, that's cool. Let me look that up on Amazon. Swipe. I bought it. And it's at the house the next day. And then I'm looking at it like, yeah, this is pretty cool. But did I really, really need that? Or was I just looking at it? You know, like I had it delivered from my house so I could look at it and decide if I want it. It's kind of crazy. So you would have to really separate what you need from Amazon and what is actually just so easy to buy that this whole swiping thing turns into a whoop, 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 like it's not real money. So try, if you're anything like me and you're addicted to Amazon, try to stay off Amazon for two weeks. But when you're off it, see what you would have spent. See what you had to stop yourself from spending and see if you can't make a number in your head in which you can connect those dots and see how much money you're saving. Another thing I always do when I want to keep a rein in on the money here is 
shop with a grocery list. This walking into a grocery store, like what do I feel like having today is a disaster for the budget. So make a menu for the week. Know what you're going to cook Monday through Friday. Leave a buy night to use up all of your leftovers. My dad used to call that muscos. Thursday night, muscos. That's when my mom would throw all those foil packets back in the oven and everybody would eat all the leftover meals from Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday because Friday was always pizza night. So Thursday had to be musco night. Make a menu for the week and when you have that menu, make a grocery list to go with it. So when you go in there, you're buying exactly what you need and you're not just walking in there hungry, throwing things in your cart that you might feel like making. Then you don't end up making, then it's wasted or you put it in the back of your freezer and then you throw it away with freezer burn two months later. So make a grocery list, make a plan and stick with the plan. Okay, here's one that we we have been doing lately, mainly because I've been sick and I have not um, just wanted to be in public because I'm still struggling with um, bronchitis and this respiratory thing that won't go away. Eat in on weekends. So a couple of weeks ago, my husband said to me, and it was Saturday night. He was working all day. He was had a really rough week, and it was um, it was getting you know toward five thirty or six. And he's like, "What's the dinner plan?" Well, I didn't really think about it yet. I've been busy all day. Let's go out to dinner. He says. And I did not want to go out to dinner. I did not feel like crowds. I did not feel like getting dressed up. I did not feel like waiting in a noisy restaurant. I don't feel like putting up with people. And he said, I just want a really good steak dinner. And I said, well, really, unless we're going to Ruth Chris Steakhouse, you're not going to get that at Outback. So let me just make you a steak dinner. So I sat my husband in a chair with a nice cool drink and the remote control, and I got myself up to the Whole Foods, and I bought two big organic rib eye steaks. And I think I paid um, $28 for two big ribeye steaks. I came home, I made them with baked potatoes for him with a nice vegetable on the side. If we had gone out to any kind of decent steakhouse, that would have been a $100 deal because any decent steakhouse, all the entrees are on the side. Um, everything is a la carte. If you have a cocktail, if you have dessert, then you make a tip you would have spent $100. So for $28, we had a lovely steak dinner at home. I put the blue cheese butter on top of it, and we just relaxed and had a good time. And you know what? Here's the thing about that. You can make a really nice dinner at home and make it just as enjoyable. But the other thing is you can still socialize on weekends. Just have everybody come over to your house for a potluck. Just have everybody bring something. It's so old school, but it's so much fun. We do it every couple of months with friends of ours. And I always think, why don't we do that so more often? Because it was so much fun. So try to take in some of your entertaining. Bring it inside. Spend less going out and do more coming in. I do know this. I know that when I'm disciplined about these things, I'm always amazed at what a difference it makes in my budget. For those who really want to travel more and find room in their budget for a monthly RV payment, it can be a matter of a few clicks 
whether it's a few clicks online, ridding yourself of stuff that, that you're not using anyway, or signing up for a Skillshare kind of thing and committing yourself to spend a couple of hours a week or a month doing some kind of side job, I know that there is money out there. And when you make that money, you are choosing experiences over stuff. And that's just a trend now, you know, get rid of stuff, get rid of stuff. But I'll tell you something, the more and more I embrace that, the older I get, the more and more I do embrace that, and the more and more value I find in it. I really don't need any more stuff in my house. I would love to hear what you are doing to make your adventures more common in your life. Drop me a note at girlcamper.com and let me know. Maybe I can add it to my personal list. Unless, of course, it involves not buying vintage camping lanterns. I don't want to go too crazy with this thing. A girl has to draw the line somewhere. Well, that's our show for today. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Liberty Outdoors, for sponsoring the show. Liberty has a question for you. What are you waiting for? Now is the time to make your RV dream come true. Liberty Outdoors is a family of brands that evoke the American values of freedom and adventure. They manufacture the highest quality trailers, producing some of the most recognizable designs in the industry. Their products are proudly made in the USA with best-in-class workmanship and customer support. This allows you to pick up, get out, and get going with the confidence that only a superior product can provide. Liberty wants you to experience the journey with the peace of mind you've earned. To take a look at the Max trailer and their little guy brand or the new Parkliner trailer, head over to girlcamper.com and click on the right-hand column. Liberty Outdoors is building something for every stage of the RVer's life. I'd like to thank our other sponsors, Bankston Motorhomes in Alabama and Tennessee, Tom's Camperland in Phoenix, Arizona, Setzer's World of Camping in Huntington, West Virginia, and General RV with 12 locations in Michigan, Ohio, Virginia, Florida, and Utah, and of course, Camco Manufacturing, making things that make camping better. Thank you to my producer, Stephanie Puglisi, for putting this show together. That's a wrap for this week, everyone. Get out there and go places and do things. Happy trails. <laughs>